This episode is brought to you by Left of Boom. We empower leaders to respond to crisis proactively and with confidence. In this episode of Crisis Talks, I sat down with Claire Gleghorn. Claire is a corporate affairs and crisis communications expert and is the CEO of Bastion Reputation Management. We talk about the importance of empathy, trust and influence and how this is your currency in a crisis. She'll also take you through some of the best ways to prepare for the worst case situations and how businesses can manage their reputational risk in the era of social media. When crisis strikes, organisations face a battle of survival under intense scrutiny. How they are judged depends on the performance of individuals and teams huddled in war rooms, working to provide a coherent response under maximum pressure. In Crisis Talks, I aim to capture the insights of people who have responded to a crisis and their stories of leadership, courage and resilience in the face of extreme adversity. Their lessons will help us all be better prepared to preempt and respond proactively and with confidence. My name is Grant Chisnell and this is Crisis Talks. Ladies and gentlemen, this afternoon I'm sitting down with a really good friend of mine, Claire Gleghorn. She's the CEO of Bastion Reputation Management here in Melbourne. Uh, they're an amazing firm, one whom I've worked with you know, on several occasions now through some major incidents. Uh, one which has re-emerged again more recently as a post-event, really with the gentleman coming out of jail mm-hmm. from the Gold's bus incidents. Great result for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was an interesting one. That was a PR disaster, not of their making really, that... Um, uh, which yeah became a social media issue really for them uh, based on the covering of the bus. Um, but shocking incident, but good company to work with, absolutely. Yeah, I think they did all the right things at the right time. Yeah, it was a challenge at the time from memory. Yeah, so it was. It was a late, late call-up too, wasn't it? It was. I think, well, it actually, I think you guys got involved um, through an insurance call, um, which is often how as you would know, often how emergency management and operational and crisis management uh, gets involved. Um, but it reflected that they were genuinely keen to do the right thing. Um, I think it was a fairly intensive few hours with them. Um, but ultimately, I think we got them to the right place, got them focused on the right things they needed to, all about those who mattered most, those who'd been impacted, um, and then working through the post issue, which was really just that classic and it's why I'm never a fan of uh, commenting on other people's crisis because you weren't in the room um, but I think some of the commentary on that one was really about um, the the covering of the sign and the company got blamed for that and actually it wasn't them who it was did a tow, it. Tow, it was a tow, tow operator yeah it was a tow truck driver who back in the 80s when before social media that's just what you did mm. um, and he thought he was doing the right thing by the company um, and I think the ability to respond to and understand how outrage works and understandably people saw that and on the face of it looked like a pretty horrendous thing to do but um, ultimately for us it was about not reacting to that and, and working and counselling um, the client on how to handle that in the right way and do the right thing. So how do you, you know, split that out? How do you plan for that or how do you make sure that you're not engaging in that outrage and you're focused on what matters most? 
It's interesting. Um, it's funny because we have reputation in our title, but actually I think reputation is ultimately the thing you don't focus on. <laughs> if people focus just on reputation, then you just think about the media, um, how people will react publicly, what the impact will be on you, as opposed to thinking about who matters in this situation, what do we need to do to remediate the situation, what are the immediate actions we need to take and how do we start to repair and rebuild. I think if you focus on that, and you provide some supporting commentary with the media and on social media as much as you can, um, not engaging when you shouldn't, um, choosing to engage at the right moments, but constantly trying to direct people back to credible information. Um, I think once you try and engage on social, you just end up in a conversation that goes nowhere. You actually need to try and drive people to a credible truth, and that should be you and what you stand for. Um, but you need to plan for that because in the moment, adrenaline kicks in, panic and anxiety can kick in. And I think I've found that companies that are practised on that, who understand the importance of it, uh, will focus on the right decision making as opposed to short termism, which is often where you end up in trouble. So what do you think that makes really for a good preparedness plan or what makes for a good organisation or well prepared? Yeah. I think for me, companies that prepare well for a crisis are those that kind of turn an issue on its side and think about it from all angles. So businesses, organize, we organise ourselves into IT, HR, comms and marketing, business development, commercial sales, but that's just not how crises play out. They're actually complicated. Mm. So organisations who understand that and get the right brains in the room at the right time tend to do much better in terms of managing their reputation and managing a crisis. So where do they go wrong? Uh, when they think that they can either suppress it, keep it within a particular organisational area, um, whether they think it's an IT issue, so if, if we fix the IT issue then we're done here. Um, refuse to engage, that's often one. So and not acknowledging to start with. Yeah, not acknowledging or when the media call just flat out saying no comment or being evasive with the media. Um, I think people often end up being a bit frightened of the media and as a result end up having a pretty poor or fractured relationship. Mm. If you see them as a vehicle or a channel to your audiences who matter and just reinforcing conversations you've had directly with those stakeholders, then you're, much, you're in a much better position. But a lot, it takes a lot of convincing sometimes to get people there. <laughs> uh, well, that takes a lot of influencing. So how much is influencing important when you're brought in to assist a team that might be under really bad, or under duress at that point in time? It's absolutely critical. And so much of that is us having to figure out where kind of on the scale of humility and hubris we need to be. So. We're being brought in as expert consultants, but we're not being brought in to be arrogant or override or be domineering or say this is it's our way or the highway. Uh, we've had to have some difficult conversations with clients, but mainly it's been around reassuring them that everything we're telling them to do is in their best interests. It might seem counterintuitive, it might be tough to swallow, we might be telling someone that they need to get out in front of an issue or be a key spokesperson, which is particularly tough. And it's easy for us as consultants to say that when we're actually pushing a CEO or a spokesperson out. But I think understanding the stress, the nature of, their, um, of how close they might be to an issue, uh, they might feel betrayed by an employee, they mm. might be close to someone who's got a problem. As soon as we do that and take, take an empathetic approach, uh, then it's much, more, it's much easier to be influential in that discussion. How important is empathy 
in a crisis response? Oh, our currency is empathy. Um, 100%, I've, I've written about it before. Uh, for us, everything is about em empathy. Um, not only for us understanding our clients and what they're going through in a particular crisis, uh, often we're dealing with people on their worst day in their career and they're under a lot of stress. Our role is to be empathetic, considered, supportive and not make their world tougher. Um, and secondly, understanding the potential impact on others outside of the organisation, their customers, their staff, the general public, stakeholders, um, and being really aware of how this might impact them, how they might react to it, and how we can help mitigate that. And that would no doubt form the basis then for all your strategy from there as well? 100%. Uh, everything for us is around who matters most and what do we want those stakeholders to think, feel and do in this situation. And for the most part, you want to drive people to credible information. You want to mitigate their level of anxiety. You want to stop them from feeling like they have no choice but to go to the media or to ring current affairs. If you're doing the right thing by those people and you're managing their expectations and you're showing concern, empathy, action, then uh, that's going to hold you in good stead. And then you can hand on heart say that that's, what, that's how you handle the situation. So what do you, what do you say then to people that, that, that take the sort of negative view and say, well, there's always going to be those people out there, those opponents out there who are going to speak against us. We're not going to be able to address all of that. How do you, how do you sort of address those sort of concerns? It's interesting. I was doing a talk um, today yeah. <laughs> um, on, as part of a panel on cyber attack and one of the panellists, Alastair McKibben, who's uh, part of the, was part of the state government or the federal government's cyber security response and headed that up, used the analogy about a bushfire, mm. which I thought was brilliant. So bushfire, firefighters, um, and you'd be familiar with this in emergency services, mm -hmm. firefighters aren't taught to put a fire out. Firefighters are taught to control the direction of the fire and control the path. Let it burn in the areas that don't matter and focus on the areas where it does, where there's a threat to assets and people. Crisis management is a little bit the same. We're not gonna turn everyone. Uh, we're not gonna completely turn detractors, and, but it's also about understanding how much does that really matter at the end of the day. Uh, we wanna make sure that those people who you care about and who matter to your organization are hearing from you mm. and understand and maintain a level of trust in and credibility and integrity in what you're saying to them. Uh, cyber is a real issue, as we're seeing now, from the conference that you were at, at today um, and in general across most industries. What have been some of the common challenges you're seeing around the cyber threat and how it relates to reputational impact? Well, most of the stuff is now around the notifiable data breaches uh, that are coming in, which is making companies and businesses nervous because you're obviously now compelled by law to um, notify, which is a bit of a shift, because mm. for the most part, when data breaches happen, you can plug the hole and no, no one's any the wiser and you just carry on with your day. Um, and customers often don't even know it's happened. Now you're compelled to tell them. So there's a real uh, sense that, that there's a fear of the impact on reputation. I think what came out today in the discussion is that actually, if you uh, focus on who matters and you focus on the uh, purpose and the intent of the data breach laws, then you actually end up doing the right things. It motivates the right behaviours. It motivates a change in culture mm. in an organisation where you want to put your hand up and say, we've got an issue here, where culturally a lot of organisations 
Uh, it's not really safe to do that if you're part of the organisation. And it also takes it out of the remit of just being an IT issue. It becomes a business risk, which means reputation, uh, customer experience, customer engagement, uh, stakeholders in general, and reputation become uh, critical and part of business as usual. What's been the best examples or some of the great examples you've seen about businesses that are well prepared from a, from a cyber perspective? Yeah, well, those who understand the impact and understand, empathise, understand the potential impact on all of their stakeholders will tend to realise that this doesn't just sit in IT. Yeah. It yeah. might start in IT, um, but pretty quickly, particularly if it's uh, a malicious attack mm -hmm. um, or there's some sort of identity theft, uh, you're going to end up on the front pages pretty quickly. So you may as well deal with it and work really hard to get to those people first so that when you do speak to the media, you're able to speak to everything you've done to support uh, those customers. So we've, we've worked with clients, particularly B2B clients, who have had um, issues of data breaches where it's not just their clients, but it's, the, it's their customers, clients, their clients, clients customers' yeah, yeah. data who has been breached. So there's potentially thousands of people we've had to go and have conversations with and, and work with clients to guide them through um, that have never seen the light of day with media because we've been able to handle it in, again, hate to use the word again, but in a really empathetic way hmm. that spoke to, um, built trust, spoke to a level of reassurance, spoke to the actions that are being taken and just managed expectations. Um, you talk about empathy as being core to what you do and critical in the way you engage. What makes a really good crisis communicator? Empathy is a, is a really good one. Um, lateral thinking, like we have this really amazing access to businesses mm. as corporate affairs people. We work really closely with lawyers a lot. We work closely with HR. We work alongside CEOs and boards and chairs. And so we have really strong, we build really strong business acumen and that's really important. Um, just like I keep and poor IT has been <laughs> given yeah. a bit of a bad rap, um, but just like IT is not the solution from a cyber risk, um, just purely working in a communication stream is also not the answer. If you just tackled it mm. from a communications point of view and tried to, in one of a better term, PR your way through an issue, yeah. you're never going to get there. So. I think what makes a great communications expert is understanding and respecting all parts of how a business functions, being able to think laterally, see risk, but also build relationships. Um, I've worked in-house, so I can say this. Um, I've worked in, sort of in the government sector, in the education, but also in the private sector, and communications teams accidentally have a habit of isolating themselves a little bit from the business um, and end up being seen as service model and it's the most frustrating thing as a comms person that mm. you're kind of seen as a typing pool like can you just tidy up that letter at the end before we just pop the logo on it before we send it out and it's inherently frustrating because you're then asked to be advisors I think if you flip it back the other way and treat yourself as an internal consultant to the business mm. Um, and take the time to get to know and understand every other part of the business because effectively they're your client. Mm, yeah. um, once you start to think about it that way, um, building relationships becomes easier and dealing with crisis becomes easier. What, um, what's been the, probably the, the most important bit of advice that you've received in, in your sort of career as a, as a corporate affairs specialist? It's a really good question. Um, it's probably, there's not 
one piece that stands out for me. I think it's about taking the lessons in every place you work with, in every issue you work with, good or bad. And I've dealt, I've worked on some um, issues that went really badly mm. um, and been able to witness uh, some really terrible reputational outcomes mm. because of a press conference that just went south really quickly um, and you've learnt from that or um, in not being able to properly work with the CEO who's under pressure. So you probably learn a lot from those um, but I actually really love working with CEOs. I think um, the more our clients are all brilliant and spending time with CEOs and understanding how they see businesses um, has taught me a lot around how it's actually not about comms, yeah. it's not about reputation, <laughs> it's about everyone else. Yeah. Um, and the more you think about that and the more you take that on board, um, I think the better you are as a consultant in particular, but also just as a comms professional. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a privilege that we get to work with these types of people who are at the top of their game. Mm. So. Um, that's the thing that excites me the most about the work that, that we collectively sort of do is mm. you're out there working with these people who are um, leaders in their own fields across multiple different fields. Um, with that sort of insight though, the issues or the common themes that you're seeing um, across these engagements that, that are really shaping for the future. Yeah, look, I think, uh, well, issues and crisis makes up the sort of 30% of our business yep. um, across our five practice areas. Um, and more increasingly, it's less about that sort of hardcore in the in the war room type crisis response, and helping organisations figure out how to deal with those slower burn type issues that are potentially more a, a cultural issue within an organisation. So, um, a lot of workplace bullying issues can be mm. quite. Um, difficult and challenging yeah. um, because organisations, as you would know, get really prepared for the active shooter situation yeah. or the... Um, the physical threat, you know, yeah. or the, the workplace health and safety incident. There's a focal points for them, so... Exactly. And as for a business, they are completely traumatic and disruptive, but you tend to recover pretty quickly yeah. yep. and your business continuity plans and kick in pretty fast. Where you've got longer term issues that just start to gnaw away and every time you scratch the surface, you uncover something else. Um, they're probably the more challenging ones and probably where we're seeing a lot more, um, a lot more business coming through, but also a lot more of our expertise being needed. Um, probably the other one is change management. Yeah. Um, it used to be change management was a very specific discipline to deal with a big organisational shift, a merger in mm. an organisation. And what we're seeing now is business transformation is just BAU. Yeah. Um, and you have to be constantly thinking about that and building that agility and resilience in business is difficult to do. Weirdly, the public sector are great at it because they have to do it every three to four years, right? Yeah, yeah. Brand new set of policies, brand new set of ministers. And so you just have to reset it was funny when I did my MBA, everyone kept talking about business disruption and I said, but that's, that's we're literally trained as public servants to manage business disruption, that's what we do. So I think when businesses start to think about change as just being BAU, um, they'll start to become more agile about how they deal with that. You, you mentioned about the issues in particular, like the whistleblower style sort of issues, um, internal cultural issues that are turning into crises. We've seen a lot of that of late. Uh, the sandpaper scandal for Cricket Australia. Uh, we've had the incidents here last week with St Kevin's and the, and the, uh, the commentary around the boys' chants, etc. that they were doing in public transport. 
And you're finding businesses are now looking more at the cultural risk aspect and how are they addressing it? Yeah, I, I do. I think businesses are becoming far more sophisticated about this. They're less and less, and I've seen this over a lot of years because when did we start working together six or seven years ago? So over that time, it's changed a lot. People would want someone to fix the media issue. Yeah, it was after it happened. Yeah, yeah totally, yeah. and respond, write us a media statement, yeah. give us a couple of holding lines and um, say no and just keep the pounds at bay. Businesses are more sophisticated. They get that it goes to the potentially goes to the heart of culture and values, which is where corporate positioning comes in. So what do you stand for as an organisation? Um, why do you exist? And what's your core purpose? Why do people connect with your brand? Because that then gives a sense of the kind of behaviours that you think are acceptable and where you think it falls below your expectations. And once you set that as your foundation, that's how you respond to crisis. And I think, and I, again, will never comment on other people's crisis because I wasn't in the room, but a couple of those examples, um, certainly one you mentioned um, from a school environment, I think schools are getting really good at s defining what they stand for as institutions and what they say is acceptable or not acceptable and then responding accordingly. So your ability to get to parents um, get to partners, get to donors yeah. um, is really important. And once you, once you think about that, it just completely shifts the dynamic, makes our life easier. For sure, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think the, what, I've, what I'm struggling to see though is where, where businesses might acknowledge that there might be a bit of a cultural issue, but they're not willing to engage and do something about it until it has emerged as a, uh, as a crisis. So again, we play back the, um, the review, the ethics review, ethics centre review, sorry, that was performed post Cricket Australia, went through the whole organisation, not just that team. Um, that was their best, put the, that delivered their worst. So do you see boards now being more attuned to that and, and, look, and taking insight, a real hard inside look? Yeah, um, boards are, are really interesting because they're kind of inherently conflicted in many ways, right? Because <laughs> you're sitting at the top of an organisation you're there to um, manage due diligence, manage business risk, um, fiduciary responsibilities of business and bring expertise. Um, but oftentimes things are happening in that organisation that you may not be aware of or you might be aware of and that's just been the norm for a long period of time. Mm. Um, and so it's really hard to look internally. Like Self-awareness is yeah. really hard, right? And we've yep. talked about that. <laughs> um, so... It's really difficult to go through that process and genuinely accept the outcomes of it. And governments yeah. do it all the time. Yeah. They launch a, a review into something, and then when the answers come back and they weren't, because you, you never launch a review, right? If you don't want, if you don't know the outcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but increasingly they are, and then saying, "Oh well, we won't adopt these recommendations, or we will adopt those." I think businesses who are genuinely open to change um, will take that on board and understand that it's a really long road. It yeah. used to be enough to say, to announce that you were launching a review. Yes, yeah. And then that was actually the solution, that was we're it, done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of organisations up until recently could tick that box and feel like they'd completed the work. Yeah. But actually, that's just the start. Just the start, yeah, you're right. As soon as you, as soon as you um, put out what those, whatever those assurances are, you need to follow through. Absolutely, well, it's, it's all about trust, right? Mm. Um, my, previous employer um, 
championed the Edelman Trust Barometer, which is an incredible piece of global data, um, because they understand the importance of trust. It's all about trust. Mm. I was reading a piece by um, the Roy Morgan CEO, who um, she was saying, Michelle Levine was saying, um, that she actually thinks distrust should be a standard risk on every risk register of every public list, publicly listed company in Australia. Right. Which is true, right? Because once you're distrusted, yeah. it's really hard to come back from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if someone can't trust you, if you launch a review and can't keep that promise, that's an incredibly damaging position to be in. No, it is. And we always hear that sort of saying, you know, it takes years and years to build that trust, but only seconds to, to break it completely and, and even more time again to recover from it. Um, what's been the... What, has there been anything that you've ever seen that's bucked that, tre- that trend or bucked that saying that someone's recovered really quickly from it that was completely out of the blue? Yeah, it's funny. We've worked on a number of issues where when you just hear the sort of water cooler conversations or when you're on the train, hear people talking about that issue and thinking, oh, I thought they responded really well to that yeah. or I actually thought the CEO was awesome or they came out really strong. Yeah. Um, that's when you, that's exactly that situation, you know, mm. that classic, the other saying is never waste a crisis. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you confront in something, if you come out um, in really strong defense of your values and your organization and what you stand for, yeah. without, and obviously sometimes there are legal implications and all sorts that you mm. can't go into the detail of, but if you talk to that and you don't shy away from that, that's respected yeah. um, and it can actually build a lot of trust. Mm. Um, I was talking to one of our clients, a CEO, who she, they have this employee of the month thing and she gets on the phone and has a chat and that ability to jump on the phone and go, oh my God, that head of the business actually took the time out and she's got thousands of staff. Mm. Um, that sort of stuff builds over time and so when you see someone like that stand up in front of a crisis and own it, yeah. Um, that can completely shift the sentiment, completely shift it, um, which can be hard when you're inside the bubble. Yeah. Um, but when you start to, you can physically, we can see uh, when we monitor sentiment, that sentiment shifts almost instantly. How do you do that? How do you monitor sentiment, monitor sentiment during a, a crisis? Yeah, so we, um, so we work with a number of tools, yep. so um, a number of online tools, and we partner um, with a couple of SEO specialists as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we fundamentally digital reputation management is mm. is part of what we do, um, and I think the and that's both proactively, you know, as part absolutely. of campaigns, etc., as well as in, in an incident. Yeah, absolutely, and I think our industry, certainly in corporate affairs, has a sort of a bit of a male pale stale vibe about it. It's <laughs> sort of the old rolodex of being able to yeah. pull up the journal and, yeah. and get a comment change. Um, we're probably a little bit more sophisticated than that now, um, and across our team we tend to always ensure that there's a digital element of what we do. So we monitor, we can track sentiment, we can engage on social media, and oftentimes we'll sort of take over um, social channels to um, monitor sentiment, um, try and steer the conversation to credible information, um, but also to the firefighting analogy. Mm. Advise the client on what commentary is worth worrying about and what is just let it through to the keeper. Yeah, yeah, and often, particularly on social media, it starts to self-regulate, right? So it can be a pretty scary and dangerous place for mm. a company, particularly if you're in the middle of a crisis. 
But if you just focus on what you need to do and who you need to focus on, that stuff starts to sort itself out and it, it has a really good ability, social media, to self-regulate. Yeah. Yeah, the conversation starts to feed itself and you end up with a lot of people who start to defend you um, in that space as well without you having to jump in. What would you advise around social media generally for businesses, particularly if they haven't had a great deal of engagement on social and they find themselves in a bit of a social media situation? It's funny, when I, I was asked that question when I went for an interview like nearly nine years ago. Um, about what Not recently, about. of course. Not no. recently. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't a key uh, question on my latest interview. Um, but it was that, what do you think about social media mm. and the future of social media? And to me, it's just another channel. Yeah. Um, it can be a channel that people feel you get much greater exposure, um, but it's, it's just a channel. And you need to think about it just like you do with any others. So this idea that you have to be on social media, uh, you probably should be, um, but it's also about thinking about who your audiences are. So some organisations are focused on customer and fan and um, other type of engagement and work really well with their marketing teams. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you start to segment social media by the way you want to use it. Yeah. So Telstra is a really great example of it didn't set out to use its social media channels as a customer service tool. It was an engagement tool um, because customers were struggling with dealing with the normal customer service tools that existed within Telstra at the time customers started default to using to try and find answers. And so Telstra brilliantly pivoted their strategy around social media to being a customer service tool. And so then suddenly, so the the market kind of dictated how they wanted to use it. And I've worked with clients who think that Facebook is their product and sort of sales and marketing tool. And over here is for corporate affairs and issues management. Mm. Um, And I've had people use a particular tone on Facebook because they say that's a, that's the tone we use, that's our kind of cool, funky tone that we use <laughs> on social media with our young people. And actually they were talking to a really disgruntled and concerned mum and mm. all it did was enrage her more. Yeah, yeah. So then I had to come in and kind of fix it. So if you try and segment your channels yeah. um, in that way, um, then that's when you're going to run into trouble. Mm. So you just need to understand how people are using them and how they're engaged and where their eyeballs are. One question I'm asking a lot of the interviewees is, who's been the best example that you've seen or the best leader that you've seen in a crisis? Now, I know you said you won't comment too much on what happens in other rooms, but, but can you think of a great example of a leader um, that you would like to sit down and have a coffee with and have a chat with and you know, hear about their experience in that particular crisis? Look, I think the big example at the moment is Jacinda Ardern. Everyone talks to that, and I'm sure a lot of... Um, a few, that, yeah. yeah. Um, and Anna Bly always stands up as the, mm. um, from that perspective in terms of her response to the Queensland floods as well, as someone who showed e- extraordinary emotion and you knew that she was going through um, hardship, you knew that she wasn't being robotic... Um, she showed empathy purely by the fact that you genuinely knew she was a Queenslander who was hurting. Mm. Um, but she stood up there every day and she knew that everyone else was hurting more than her. Mm. And in a crisis situation, it's actually never about you. It's about the people who are impacted by it. Yeah. Um, Jacinda Ardern probably stands out for me because it was such a difference from what we had seen by other leaders. And 
when we see it go wrong, it's when people are defensive, when they make it about them, when there's a sort of a tough rhetoric or an overly defensive rhetoric yeah. or an overly, overly legalistic rhetoric. Yeah. And she went none of that. And the way in which she engaged completely took the heat out of what could have and did in some respects escalate. Mm. So you're dealing with terrorism, you're dealing with racism, you're dealing, dealing with fear, fear mm. you're dealing with genuine trauma and horrific scenes and horrific scenes that played out on social media. Mm which was kind of an additional modern overlay. And she just continued to handle it with complete grace and consideration. And there was, she erred always on the side of empathy. Mm. Um, there's that word again. Yeah. <laughs> and I think for me, that's why she stood out. Uh, she didn't pl play into what was the popular thing to say. And I think a lot of leaders now think oh, this is what people will want me to say. Mm. They'll want me to be tough on that issue or they'll want me to demand answers or say we're going on the attack or launching legal action or whatever it is or launching um, military action. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she didn't allow herself to be swayed by popularism. If you had one last piece of advice to give as you, in your last ever client engagement, what would that be? Uh, it would be... And it's got to stick. It's got to stick. It's got to stick. Oh, it sounds dumb, but it's never. It's not about you. It's so often when we um, are working with clients, and you can't tell a client that, right? When when you walk into a crisis situation and you're brought in to help, you can never say outright, "This isn't about you." Uh, but it's actually true. It's not about us as consultants. Um, and oftentimes we can have brilliant ideas and um, just kind of rough, run roughshod over clients because it's about us and our brilliance. Um, but it's the same for clients. In a, in a crisis situation, it's actually not about your reputation. Uh, it's about everyone else who's impacted. And there's that silly word, empathy, again. But it's completely about that. It's, it's just not about you. Not about you. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's a, a fantastic way to finish this afternoon, Claire. So, um, Claire Gleghorn, the CEO of Bastion Reputation Management, uh, it's been a pleasure to sit down with you on Crisis Talks this afternoon. Uh, hopefully we don't get to see each other across the table in, yes. in the event of another incident, but no That's doubt great. we probably will. People say that to us a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Grant. Thank you very chat. much for your time. Cheers.